Well, I do want to wish all the uh, mothers a happy Mother's Day today. Uh, it's great uh, that we get to celebrate a day for the moms. And the kids in school actually decorated something for you. I'm sure you got something from the school and from, the, uh, from your kids today. But it is really honor to speak, uh, you know, really to, to the church, but especially honorable to acknowledge the great mothers that we have. You know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for mothers. And so... I'm sure uh, a lot of us are going to go out to after church today and go have a great feast. Amen. Take your mom out to a nice dinner or brunch or whatever you're going to do. I know Karen and I are going to go over to, to Lalo's in Mexico. It's not a, that's, not a, that's not a cheap little uh, announcement there. It's just, we go to Lalo's. Uh, I think we went there last year. We liked it, so we try to stick to what we like. I'm, I'm the kind of guy when I go to a restaurant, I, I pr pretty much order the same thing. I don't really deviate because I'm afraid to, to get something I'm not going to like. And sometimes that's not good. I'm missing out on a lot of good things. So, um, so today's uh, sermon is going to be the parable of the great banquets. We are going to feast. We are going to enjoy the time with our moms. I, I know, uh, you know, my mother's uh, lives in Laverne, California. I'm going to call her this afternoon and wish her a happy Mother's Day and really grateful for her and all the great meals she cooked for me. And, you know, whenever you stop by mom's house, she always seems to have a meal for you ready in the fridge. I don't know wh where it comes from, but it's always there. It's amazing. So in, in, in verse 15 is, is the, of, of Luke chapter 14 is the, the, the great banquet. But to get the context of this parable of what's happening here, uh, we need to go back a little bit. So put your finger there and look over in Luke chapter 11 in verse 53. There were some things that were kind of brewing in the background that kind of uh, that are happening that that really um, dovetails into the great banquet parable in verse 53 it says when Jesus left there the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions waiting to catch him in something he might say you know he just got done uh, really challenging the religiosity of the people and so they began now to watch him. So go back now to Luke chapter 14 and in verse 1. And so he enters this home of a religious man called a Pharisee. And they're watching him carefully. So in verse 1 it says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being watched or carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. You know, you know people that had um, physical disabilities were really not allowed into the home of the Pharisees. This was a setup. This was a ruse to catch Jesus. As they're, as they're looking for something to catch him on, they bring a guy in who has a physical ailment. And we know the theology of the Jews was, if you had that ailment, you must have sinned or your parents must have sinned. They didn't really want to be around the sinners. And so they bring this guy in, into the setting of a feast of a Pharisee, and they try to catch Jesus. They insert a person in there that needs healing. But it's a Sabbath. If he heals them, hey... You're working on the Sabbath. If he doesn't heal him, you're so unloving. You have no compassion. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to, to really stick it to him here. And keep in mind, 
that Jesus had already violated their Sabbath at least seven different times. On the Sabbath in Luke 4, he cast out a demon. On the Sabbath in Luke 4, he healed a fever. On the Sabbath in Luke chapter 6, he allowed his disciples to pluck grain and eat them. In John 5, on a Sabbath, he healed a lame man. On a Sabbath in Luke 6, he healed a man who, was, who had a paralyzed hand. On a Sabbath in Luke 13, he delivered a crippled woman who was afflicted by a demon. And on a Sabbath in John 9, he healed a man born blind. You know, Jesus was known to, to take human frailties and conditions over the Sabbath. And these guys were trying to catch him and trap him. And when he asked them, and he kind of just flips it on, what, what, what should we do? And they remain silent. It says here in verse 4, but they remain silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son, if you look down the footnote, it says a donkey. Uh, I don't know what that really entails there. If you have a son or a donkey or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, you will, not, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had, they had nothing to say. You know, Jesus turns it around on them. And they remain silent. You know, the Old Testament law, it gave you leeway to rescue your animal if it fell into a pit. And he's saying, is not a human being more greater than that? This is the point he's trying to make. Where the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen. Jesus confronts the fact that they, how much more should a human being who's in need get help? Amen. You know, the parable of the great banquet is a parable about making excuses. And that relates to every one of us in this room. Does it not? Some are better than others at that. But it relates to us. And so this is, as we're building into the, into the, into the parable, this is the context of what's happening in the background. And in verse 7, it reads on. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to the better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, they were jockeying for position. He walks in this room, and all they care about is how they look. All they care about is who's going to get the place of most importance at the, at the, uh, at the banquet. And he gives them this advice. Take the humble position. Amen. It's better to be humble than right, is it not? Amen. Have you ever argued with your wife? Never. And you knew that you were right? Or you're, at least in your perspective you were right? At least in your point of view you were right? I've never been 
And then you, you see that it goes nowhere. And in fact, makes the, it makes the small fight turn into a ginormous fight. You know, I ask myself, is it better to be humble than right? Yes, it's better to be humble than right. You know, that is the principle here. These men were, they cared more about what they looked like, their status, their statute, instead of just walking in and being humble. These guys are being very prideful. You know, Romans 12, verse 3, I'll read it for you. Um, Don't think you are better than what you really are, is what the scripture says. Don't think you're better than what you really are. You know, when I find myself say, talking to myself, Karen, Karen always seems to point out my, my, my flaw there. It's like, oh, that's right. I got to stay humble because abs- that's absolutely true. You know, or, or whenever I was a kid, I, I, I'd say th- things about myself. My mom, my mom would always come in and say, but what about that? And I'm like, yeah, you're right, mom. It's true. You know, it's just, you know, you get caught up in thinking you're awesome. You get caught up in thinking that I, I've been a Christian 18, 19, 20, 30 years. And you can begin to think that you're better than you really are. Hopefully when you get older, you realize that you're not really that good and you're lucky to be alive and you're grateful to be a Christian. You're going, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I'm a Christian this long. You know, Proverbs 26, verse 12, it says, Do you see a a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And this is a scenario Jesus is walking into. These guys thought they were super awesome. And they deserve a seat of, of, that's to the right hand of honor. Amen. Prideful. You know, as a Christian, you've got to self-evaluate all the time. you always got to self-evaluate where you're at spiritually. In Galatians 6 verse 3, it says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Wow. And this is the, kind of the context of this parable. He's going to a room, and these guys think they're super awesome. So in verse 12, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your neighbors, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they, uh, if you do, they may invite you back, and you will also be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the, of, of the righteous. Amen. You know, these people wanted attention. These people didn't really care about other people. The ones he says to invite, they're the ones who really have needs. They're just excited to get invited. And this is what Jesus sees at the home of the Pharisee. This is the context of the parable of the great banquet. Now in verse 15, let's read the parable. When one of those at, at the table uh, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I don't know why he said that. <laughs> he just gets up and just says, Hey, I'm just super excited. Let's feast in the kingdom of God. I don't know if he was confirming what Jesus said, saying, hey, I'm crippled, I'm lame. I don't know where this guy was coming from, but it's just, it's hilarious to read. There's always a guy at the party that just stands up and just says the craziest things, isn't it? Think about it, all the parties you've been to in your life. There's always a guy at the party 
And I'm not gonna say Steve Burns. There's always a guy at the party that just says something. You says that's just crazy. That's just hilarious. That's where did that come from? I'm sure he's not the only one who have done that in his life. I think I was that guy for many parties. That I would say things that just out of the blue, and this guy stands up and just shouts. And he's just excited. It's just hilarious to, to this is the event. Jesus, you know, really discipling him and all that. And the first thing he says, not, hey, I'm cut. I'm, Jesus, I'm, I, hey, it's great to be here. Isn't it great to be here, everybody? Amen. After Jesus is making these corrections and observations, the guy drops you. That's what the guy says. There's always humor in the scriptures. Amen. And a certain man, verse 16, was preparing a great banquet. And he invited many guests. And at that time, the banquet, or the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, everything's ready. But, the, but they all alike began to make excuses. I bought a field, and, just, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another, I just got married, so I can't come over. You know what's interesting? I got a point for that in the Bible. I'm going to get there. Hold on. People make excuses. We make excuses. You know, I made excuses for the things I shouldn't have done and that are in my cupboard. Things I ate that I know were not good for me, I ate. I was like a little mouse in the middle of the night. And I justified dark chocolate, antioxidants. <laughs> justified it. Excuses. In Kansas, someone ate all my dark chocolates. Just trying to stay healthy. Excuses. Yesterday I played a soccer match in Oxnard. Uh, our little team played uh, the Central Region. And, uh, you know... I was playing soccer, and, and the game seemed normal. The game was going, I was like, I, I know where everybody was, and everybody was going here. I saw the game, and it's context. I was like, I'm doing great. The problem was, every time I thought I was moving, I really wasn't. It felt like, I, I felt like I was running, but I was moving, I felt like I was in a full sprint, and I, and I moved three yards. And it was just the weirdest feeling, and I thought, and then I said, someone said, hey, Gio, how you feeling? I said, man, my feet feel heavy. In other words, I'm heavy. My feet don't go because there's all this weight on my feet. And the fact that my lungs went from this big to this big. Because I stopped running and exercising in that way. And it was, just, it was one of those things I want to justify. But I made some great passes. Yeah, yeah, nice try, Gio. These guys in the scriptures made excuses. You know, the first guy made a business excuse. I bought a field. I'm in business. I'm too busy. Second guy, same thing. He bought some. He bought some. Bought some yoke. Hey, I'm too busy. The third. I mean, both these guys said, "Please excuse me." The guy that got married says, "Didn't even say please." He just says, "I'm not coming over." Now I don't know who he married, but he's not coming over. Excuses, and excuses that we make. They know the thing they should do. And we know the things we should do, yet we do not act. This describes everyone in the room. 
There are things you know you should do and do not do. A lot of us, we know. We know what to do. We know what kind of foods to eat as you're going to go out to lunch afterwards. You know the kind of food you're going to eat. You know, this morning I thought about, you know, I thought about what do I have for lunch. I'm like, we're going to go to Lalo's, man. I, I can't wait to, you know, things I shouldn't do. We know we should spend time in our Bibles. And we don't. We know we should spend some time teaching others and getting taught ourselves. But we don't. You know, what's, what's the reason? You know, in Proverbs 22, it gives us a great reason as to why we don't do it. In Proverbs 22, verse 13, I'll read it for you. It says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. Or I'll be murdered in the streets. I'll be killed out there. That's probably, probably not true for our life today. You know, when we don't want to do something, we exaggerate the situation, do we not? We go to the ridiculous to exaggerate why we don't want to do something. Because we really don't want to change. We exaggerate our situation. There's a lion outside. I can't go. To, I'll get murdered in the streets. I'll get killed. We exaggerate it. That's what we do. You ever exaggerate when you're fighting with your wife? Never. Never. I've never done that in my marriage. Ever. Doesn't happen. Gio, why don't, why don't you be humble? There's a lion outside. I can't be humble. There's a lion outside. I cannot be humble. Can't go outside. Marrieds. Going on dates with your wife. Oh, man. I'll get murdered in the streets. <laughs> go outside. Do it. There's not a lion out there. Stop making excuses. You know, we put so, in so much energy into everything else. But we don't put our energy in the most important things of life. You know, your family devotionals. Come on. <clears throat> You know you should do them, but you don't. I'll get murdered in the streets. There's a lion outside. I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Someone has to teach me. Then ask. Then ask. Just get some help. Stop exaggerating the situation. And just get some help. You know, each of us will be telling our spouses, I love you a lot more than we do. You know, I love you is a very powerful thing during the non-conflict time of the, of, the, of the zone there. You know what I'm saying? When you get up, you say, hey, I love you. Not like, you know, you, when you're fighting, okay, fine, I love you, fine, forgive each other. Okay, that's good too, but I'm talking when there's non-conflict time, the I love yous. And some of you guys, are, some of us will say to ourselves, well, I'm not ready. I was going to, but she said that. I was going to say it. But she said that, oh, they just, killed, they just killed it right there. You know, we have got to push through. Amen. And do the things that are, are important. We got to push through. We have to make ourselves do the things that are important. 
You know, dads, bringing your children up in the training of the Lord. You know, let me encourage the dads. That means when, you're, when your children uh, are sinning in your house, you open the Bible with them. Amen. And you read it with them. I've been doing that with my son. Reading the Bible, hey son, this is what the Lord says. In a loving, instructional way. Now, I do a lot of that just when there's non-conflict, but when there's conflict, there's still training. Amen. So every time I get with my son, it's not always conflict. It's non-conflict times I read the Bible with them, and then there's conflict time where I read the Bible with them because I'm trying to call him to repentance. Building character in your kids. Mm. We live in a society today where you have the right not to be offended. Far be it from someone that may offend you or offend your child. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's our society. It wants to convince you that you have a right, that no one should ever offend you, that you have every reason to overreact, shut the doors, and just stay out of my life. That's our society today. But not so with us. For us who claim to follow God, that is a normal part of our lives. Why else did Jesus go to the cross? Why else is Jesus saying, hey, be humble? You know, a lot of times things happen to our kid is a character building issue. It builds character, my son and my daughter. When they're mistreated, it gets, it builds, now there's some things that make it right, but it builds character. It would be foolish of me to, to try to pretend to my son that there is no conflict when he gets older. Conflict is a part of our human nature. And if you try to ignore that and protect your kids from that, you're a foolish parent. Because you will hurt them gravely when they're older. Because they won't know how to react to it. It's an important part of just helping them trust that God is in control. He's in control of nations, as we know in, the, in, in, the, in, our, in our kingdom of God study. He's in control of kings. He's in control of the elementary school, wow. the high school. Wow. He's in control. Radical. He's in control of your life at work. Revolution. He's in control of everything. You don't have to worry. That's right. We've got to learn and appreciate that God is trying to build our character for the long haul. The Bible says endure hardship as discipline. And those who have been, those who have been trained by it will be a harvest of righteousness. Amen. Training. You know, we should be reading our Bibles. On a regular basis. Amen. We should be praying on a regular basis. We should be involved in Christian relationships on a regular basis. Teaching each other. Correcting each other. Rebuking each other. Encouraging each other. I got some of that this week. I got some of that a couple days ago. And it, it, it brought an incredible amount of peace to my soul. I was six feet from the edge. Isn't that a song somewhere? I don't know. Sing it. Sing it. 
Well, gee, I'm too busy with my job. I got recreational things going on. I'm busy with my family. Again, it's not an issue of not knowing what you should do, but it's an issue of disciplining yourself to do the important things. If you're, if you're too busy, then you're too busy. And you'll reap what you sow if you don't do the important things. Sometimes we let our schedules get busy and, and now it demands our attention. We put a lot of things in there and now it's demanding our life. And we don't have the time to be still and know God. No time to read the Bible. Because your schedule will do that to you. You put enough things in there, it'll call you there. It sure will. But if the important things are not in there, then you're missing out on the great banquet. Because God is calling all of us. But then here comes our excuses of why we don't do the most important things in our life. You know, some things are, some parts of our lives, we get too cluttered. You know, I, I am putting, turning off my cell phone and putting it away when, there's, when I'm doing things with my wife or my kids. That was very hard to do. I'm like, no, it's calling my name. I must return this text. I mean, it's, it was this weird, like, I must return this text. I'm serious. It's like it was almost like a it was like an addiction. Like I have I have to check Facebook. It has to be checked. I must look at Facebook. Who It's okay. Facebook's going to be fine. You can go a day or two without Facebook. An hour or two without Facebook. Forever. Facebook. Instead of Facebook Face the book. Let this be your Facebook. Face this book. You know, people need to be loved. People need to be taught. I think we're a very loving church. We need to grow in teaching each other correcting each other. I think we're weak in that. I think, we, I think out of our love, we don't want to correct. We need to correct and teach. Without, that's love. But we need to grow in that area, radically grow. Not be afraid to teach and, hey, I want to come over and say it. I want to come over and I want to do a Bible study with you. I want to, I want to teach you something I've, I've been learning. Great. You know, in verse uh, 22, it says, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been, I'm sorry, verse 21 says, the servant came back and reported this to the master and the, owner of the house became, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants to go out quickly into the streets and alleys and towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go into the roads, the country lanes, and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You know, in the parable, the guy reports to the owner. In the parable, and the owner is God. And God is angry at their rejection. 
We don't like feeling rejection, do we? It, 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 is, it is one of the worst feelings. You feel insignificant. You feel you're not good enough. He says, go and invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, and the blind. And why do they come in? Because they saw they had needs. They saw that they had their own needs. Is your marriage crippled this morning? Is your walk with God lame? Then you've been invited to the banquet. See, everyone here has those kinds of needs. But do you realize you have those kinds of needs? Those guys are like, wow, what an opportunity! What an opportunity! I would change my schedule to go to that. If you had a portal to walk into heaven today, would you go? Would you change your schedule? Of course you would. Jesus came down and said, let's go. Right now. There's a lion outside. I can't go. I'll get murdered in the streets. No, you wouldn't. You'd go. This is the parable of the banquet. You've been invited. God wants his house to be full. He wants us there. He wants this relationship with you. With us. And Jesus says, Jesus says this, don't be so big. Don't be so important. Don't be so unloving where you don't come into God's home. Don't be so big. God is inviting you in. God wants you in. Let us do the things that are important. And then we see our need. And we get to enjoy the great banquet. Amen? Amen. Enjoy your Mother's Day feast today, ladies and gentlemen. And to God be the glory. Thank you.